This morning we are continuing our study through Mark. We've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we're in Mark chapter 6. And we're continuing this fairly long chapter with a familiar event, the feeding of the 5,000. I can remember when our family first moved to this area, we visited quite a few different churches, trying to get the lay of the land, get to know other ministries in the area. And it seemed like at least half the time when we visited those churches, the pastor was preaching on the feeding of the 5,000. That's just how it kept working out. Um, if you remember, or if you want to just look back in the chapter at what Mark has just recorded for us, here we have another banquet, if you will. Because last week we were looking at that banquet that was part of Herod's birthday party. And this is a very different kind of supper. This is a supper that's not extravagant. It is pure. It is miraculous. But it is simple. And more than anything else, it's out in the wilderness. In a way, we also find another pop quiz for the disciples in this passage today. They've just returned from their short-term mission trip. And we'll see that they reported to Jesus what had happened, what they taught, what they were able to do with his power and authority. And through him, they had been able to perform miracles. But now when they're faced with this seemingly impossible task of feeding a multitude of people, they have no idea what to do. They say, send them away. We don't have, we don't have the resources to do this. So it's a pop quiz again of sorts based on what Jesus has just taught them. We're going to read through the passage. I'd invite you to stand. Hopefully you've found your way. This is Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 30, verses 30 to 44. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Let's pray together, please. Our Father, we know that this is a familiar story to us. And yet we ask for fresh ears and fresh eyes this morning that we would behold wonderful things out of your law. Lord, speak to us. 
Give us ears to hear. I pray that you would strengthen me mentally and physically to teach your word accurately and enthusiastically and boldly and that this would come alive to us this morning because it is alive. Your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it can open us up. It can pierce into our innermost being. We pray it would do that today. You would help us to understand what this meant to these who lived it, those who first read it, and what it means for us today that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to apply it to our lives. May we be obedient in what you show us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If this seems like a familiar story to you, if it seemed like every place we were going to church, this was the sermon, there's a reason for that. This is the only miracle, apart from the resurrection, that's recorded in all four Gospels. So if you're interested, you're welcome to jot down those cross-references. If you have a study Bible or a Bible with cross-references, you already have them. So it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I have four main ideas that I'd like to show you from these verses today as we work our way through it. First, God knows when we need rest. He knows that we need rest, and he knows when we, know, when we need rest. Any of you who've had children, if you've had toddlers, you know when they need rest. Brenda's smiling at me right now. We know when our kids need rest. Second, God shepherds his people spiritually and physically. He is our shepherd. There's a reason we read Psalm 23 earlier. The Lord is our shepherd. He shepherds his people. Number three, God can do what seems impossible. Our limitations are not his limitations. And he can do what to us seems beyond possibility. Number four, sometimes he includes us in that. God sometimes uses us to do what seems impossible. So I have the verse numbers with you, and you'll see those as they come back up. Starting with the first point, God knows when we need rest. This is verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. This is one of the only appearances of the word apostles in the book of Mark, and it's referring to those who are sent out. We might say messengers or authorized representatives or ambassadors or missionaries. It's not really used as an official title yet, but it will be later in the New Testament. Those who are sent out, the 12 are later called the apostles. That's how they're known as we get into Acts and beyond. Paul was an apostle. So they gathered together. Why? Because he had sent them out in verses 7 through 13. They gathered back, and this is a pattern we see throughout Acts and New Testament as well, that people are sent out to represent Jesus, and they come back and they give a report to the church at Antioch, for example. So they're coming back and they're saying, here's what happened. And it says, they told him all things that they had taught and that they had done, the miracles. What miracles did he send them to do? To heal, to cast out demons. And through the authority he gave them, they did. So they were, I'm sure, excited to tell him, here's what happened. We went to this place where you told us to go and we stayed with this person and, and they gave the full report. It says they told him all. Now, they had been on what was probably a long and exhausting missionary trip. So he now tells them to come and get some rest. If you compare this with Matthew, it seems like things are coming together all at once. There's the report of the disciples from John. Remember, when he was beheaded, they went and they took his body and they buried it. And then they came and told Jesus. If we look at the harmony of the Gospels, we, we see they came. It seems like this is that time period. 
Some people even think that that was what prompted the end of the 12, their short-term ministry. They came back because of the report of John the Baptist's death. Could be. Verse 31, Jesus said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. I like that verse. Should we just stop there and should we rest a while? That'd be fun. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted or your translation might say a secluded place in the boat by themselves. He says, come aside. I like that he said, come. Because he had just sent them out on a ministry two by two. But now he says, come, because he's going to go with them. He's not sending them on a little vacation. He's saying, come. Because part of the rest, the restoration, the encouragement they were going to receive was from being with Jesus. So he says, come with me. We're going to go to, another translation has quiet place. I like that too. And I've said this before. I'm sure I'll probably get to say it again in this Gospel of Mark. But Vance Havner says, if we don't come apart, we will come apart. And there are times when ministry is exhausting. Some of you worked extra hard to bring food for this meal. Some of you were here early setting up, and, and some of you will be helping with cleanup and that kind of thing. There's work to be done, and it can be tiring at times. And there are times that we need to set aside. God set up within the creation of his universe. He didn't rest on the seventh day after creating everything because he was tired. He set it up to give us a pattern that there should be rest. I'm not going to get too sidetracked here and preach these things today, but basically in the Old Testament economy, under the law, they were supposed to give God one out of seven days of the week and 10%, one out of 10 of what they had financially. He, he set it up that way. So in terms of rest, he scheduled that in and they had the Sabbath and we've talked about that and we'll continue to talk about that as it comes up in the, in the gospel of Mark. So he's telling them rest a while. Doing the work is important, but so is periodic rest. And sometimes we need rest. And sometimes we don't take rest. And we just keep pushing through and, and we end up sick or injured. Or, and we end up resting because that's all we can do. But Psalm 103 says that he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. We're made out of dust. Sometimes we don't remember that, but he does. And that we need rest. Many of you will be familiar with this cross-reference but matthew 11 words of jesus come to me all you who are labor are weary who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest there it is again for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light you're weary come to me jesus says you burden down with cares of this world with the trials you face, with the relationship issues, with the financial issues, with the health issues, whatever it is you're facing right now, he says, if you're burdened down, come to me. Rest in me. Find hope and peace and joy and comfort in me. So he invites his disciples, come aside by yourselves, we're going to go to a quiet place and rest for a while. So far, so good. But now we're to the second point. God shepherds his people spiritually and physically because he doesn't just shepherd his disciples. There's going to be a crowd there. Let's look at verse 33. But the multitudes saw them departing and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Now, some of you are thinking, how is that possible that a multitude got there before they did when they were traveling by boat? 
one possible explanation, because what's happening, they're, they're going around the top end of the Lake of Galilee. And by boat, it was about four miles, we think. And on land, it would have been about eight miles. So those, perhaps, who were younger or more athletically inclined could have run on ahead, and they would have been there in time. How come the boat didn't get there sooner? Well, if there was no wind, if there was a contrary wind, that would have slowed them down. They would have had to row instead of sail. These are ways this could have happened without anything unusual going on. But the point is that some ran, some were able to run, and they got there first. Because verse 34 says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. Already a bunch of people were there. And was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. He saw this great multitude. He was moved with compassion. Jesus was tired too. If it's true that he just got the news of his cousin, we think second cousin, John the Baptist's death, martyrdom, then he's emotionally drained, exhausted, processing that as well. So his disciples are tired, he's tired, and they're coming away to a quiet place, an uninhabited place, so that they can have a little rest, some downtime. It is wonderful to be able to serve people. There are times where we need rest and we need to be by ourselves or we need to be in a, just with our family or whatever it is. And that's what Jesus may have hoped for. It's certainly what his disciples were hoping for. And they get there and there's already a crowd. They just left to try to get away from the crowd. And there's a crowd forming there. And if it had been me, I would have said, oh, come on, let's go try someplace else. But that wasn't Jesus' attitude, was it? It says he was full of compassion. He was moved with compassion. So what is compassion? We better know what that is. If, if it says that he was moved with compassion, what is that? Compassion, Hebrew and Greek words translated compassion in the Bible, mean to have mercy, to feel sympathy, to have pity. Literally, it means to be moved in one's bowels. Now, that's not really what we think of as bowels, but the, the internal organs. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But internally, I, I would say like a sinking feeling in your stomach when you get news of someone who's been in a car accident and some other, what we would think of as bad news, and you just, uh, your heart sinks. You can feel the blood in your veins it's that kind of feeling it's, it's the that feeling in the pit of his stomach that it says jesus had to be moved with compassion so what is compassion easiest definition that i learned a long time ago from somebody is that compassion is love in action it's not just oh jesus felt sorry for them and then they went on to, with their vacation no it's an emotion I feel that results in an action that I perform. It's something I feel that results in something I do. So he's going to show his love for them, his deep affection for them. Why did he feel that? Because, it says, they were like sheep having no shepherd. We know from the book of John, he is the good shepherd. That's an Old Testament phrase we see it a lot of places, but I'm going to share one cross-reference. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. God, described as a shepherd who cares for sheep. What do we know about sheep? Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are dumb. Sheep cannot 
fend for themselves. They can't defend themselves. They generally get lost easily. They don't necessarily know where to eat. If the water's running too fast, they're scared and they won't drink. They're complicated, difficult creatures. And that's what the Bible calls us, that we're sheep. Probably not complimentary, but real, honest. So he, there he is as our shepherd burdened for us because we're so lost without him. So what does he do? He, he perceives that they are with sheep, sheep without a shepherd. They're going to wander off. They're not going to be able to feed themselves. So what is the first thing it says he does? He began to teach them many things. You or I might have thought, oh, well, the, these are poor or, or these are hungry. And they were. But what's the top priority to him? The spiritual need. So he teaches them. He taught them many things. He begins with the most pressing need, the spiritual need. But that's only the beginning because he goes on to meet the practical physical needs. If you compare the other gospels, Matthew and Luke and even John tell us that he worked miracles. He healed people. So he taught them. He healed those who were sick. And we're about to find out he's going to feed them as well. Because by then, by the time he had taught them many things, it was late in the day. It was at least 3 o'clock. May have been later. May have been toward 5 o'clock. But the sun's going to go down. And that's important to our story because it's a multitude. It's a bunch of people. We find out how many by the time we finish. First point is that God knows when we need rest. Second, that he shepherds his people spiritually first and also physically. But then we see that God can do what seems impossible. Verse 35, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. And already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. What they come and tell Jesus is not anything he doesn't already know. He knows it's a, a quiet, a deserted, a secluded place. That's why they came. He knows that part. He can probably judge by the sun. It's getting later in the day. It's in the afternoon. The shadows are getting a little longer. They're not telling him anything he doesn't know. But what the truth most likely is that they realize we have a bunch of people on our hands. They've been here all day. They've been listening a long time. They, some of them have been healed, but we're going to have a problem because most of them probably didn't come planning to stay for the day, and we don't have any food to feed them. So I think we need to send them into the villages, the surrounding countryside, so that they can fend for themselves and get their own food. What's their attitude? We're hungry. We're tired. Send them away. That's their solution. Jesus sees the need, he's moved with compassion. The disciples see the need, and they say, let's get rid of the need, send them away. Get them out of here. Let them deal with their own problems. John Corson put it this way, the disciples' heart was, send them away, we're weary. And Jesus' heart is, come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. I will provide for your needs. And that rolls right into our fourth point. God sometimes uses us to do what seems impossible. What is the disciples' solution to the situation? Send them away. Get them out of here. Verse 37, But Jesus answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. That's not what they were expecting. They would have been happy with the order. Yeah, go ahead. Start dispersing them. Mm -mm. The you is emphatic. You yourselves give them something to eat. What's he doing? 
He's giving them an impossible task. Vernon, Vernon McGee said that he commands them to do an impossible task because they have to learn just as we have to learn that he always commands the impossible. The reason is obvious. He intends to do the work. Do you realize how many commands in the Bible are impossible for us? Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. How many of you can do that? Anybody in the room able to do that? Be holy like God is holy? I can't. You can't. But God can. So he commands us to do things we can't do. We've been studying Romans 12. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, who is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your... Anybody able to do that? But he is able. Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit working through us, growing the fruit of the Spirit in us. So he gives them this impossible command. Why? Because he's going to do it. He has a lesson for them. Now, what are, what are their solutions? Their first solution was, get them out of here. Send them away. But now they have another solution, if you want to say that. They want to do a GoFundMe and come up with enough money to go order out and bring stuff. That's their next solution. Look at it. I'm in verse 37. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? What they're saying is, us? You want us to feed them? There are 12 of us. There are a lot of them. They may not have known that, how many there were. There are thousands of them. This, no, this is not, this is not work. Now, what's funny to us, we've read the chapter, so we have all this wisdom that the disciples didn't have, but they had just gone out and Jesus had used them to heal people and to cast out demons. They were working miracles with their hands, stuff they couldn't do. It was impossible, but through Jesus, they were doing it. So they understood a little bit of a miraculous power. They'd seen Jesus work miracles. Now some of them have worked miracles through the power given to them by Jesus. But we get here, and they have no idea what to do. We don't have food. We can't. This is impossible. We just need to send them away because even if we had all the money in the world, we couldn't do this. How much money are we talking about? Anybody know how much 200 denarii is? It's eight months wages. How do we get that? Because a denarii is a copper coin or a silver coin that a day laborer got paid. And I looked this up just to make sure. Have some math for you. 725 is minimum wage in North Carolina right now. So if we multiply 725 an hour times eight hours a day, times 200 days, I came up with $11,600. That may be on the low end, but that's a lot of money, I think. Anybody ever gone out, out to eat and the bill was $11,600? Thankfully, I haven't either, okay? But they're saying, this is way beyond what we can afford. They looked at Judas, if he was already the treasurer by then. They said, how much money you got? Oh, I got this much. No, that's not going to cut it. We need over $11,000 to feed these people. And I don't think Domino's is going to have it here in 30 minutes. It's not going to work. Their solution of, oh, let's send them out in the countryside. Do you really think that late in the day, these little villages around Bethsaida, that those bakers would have had enough for this kind of crowd? The whole thing is ridiculous. It couldn't be done. But here's the thing. 
One of my study Bibles says, a situation that seems impossible with human resources is simply an opportunity for God. Impossible to us, an opportunity for him. Because he goes to work at the end of our resources. He goes to work when we just can't do it and we realize we can't do it. Now we humbly come to him, Lord, I'm stuck. I'm sunk. I can't do this. Would you please help? He'd be glad to. He specializes in the impossible. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. The first step, when we're, when we're facing something that seems impossible to us, the first step is not to calculate our resources. That's what we tend to do, isn't it? Can we do this? Do we have enough to do this? How are we going to do this? No. But to determine God's will and trust him to meet the need. If he orders it, he pays for it, folks. Verse 38. But Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. What do you have? When it says loaves there, some of you are thinking big old French loaf, something like that. No. Think English muffin. When they go, they come back and they say, we have five English muffins and two sardines. That's basically what we're dealing with here. Two little fish. Might have been smoked fish. What's the point? We focus on, I can't do that. I'm not gifted to do that. I don't have the resource to do that. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I can't do that. Lord, I can't do that. Sorry. Find somebody else. He says, what do you have? What's in your hand, Moses? What do you have? All he wants is all we have. We learn from the other Gospels that this is a a young boy. Maybe it's Ethan's age. And he is willing to give up his lunch. His mom must have packed him a lunch to meet. It had to be a little boy because the the adults would have been too selfish to admit that they had anything. Probably wouldn't have shared it. And a bigger miracle, those of us who have had sons, is that he hadn't already eaten it. (laughs) Maybe that was what was left from what he'd he'd had all day. If he had a snack, he was going to eat it. But he's willing to share it. And God wants us to bring to him, to give to him, to put into his hands what we have. You say, I'm not talented. I just have this little bit over here. I just have this little skill over here. God can use that. He created you with that talent. If you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift. He wants you to use that in his service. That's why he gave it to you. So what he's given to you, he wants you to give back to him so that he can multiply it, so that he can use it. So here he is, the God of the universe, the creator God, come in human flesh as Jesus. And he didn't need anything. He didn't need the boy's lunch. He didn't need the disciples to distribute it. He could have said, bam, and it snows manna. But he uses us. He chose to use his disciples here, again, I think, to teach them. He delights in including us. Continuing verse 38. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. So we have established that this is impossible. This cannot be done. 
in human terms, this isn't going to happen. And some of us know the verses. Here are a few of them for you. Matthew 19, 26 says the same thing as Mark 10, 27. What does it say? With God, all things are possible. Luke 1, 37 says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. So we have the positive statement, we have the negative statement. And we know that. And we think, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Some of us know a chorus from years ago. Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Great. And then we get to real life. God, how am I going to pay this bill? God, what am I going to do if my loved one dies? God, how am I going to handle this trial? God can do the impossible, but I don't know what's going to happen in my situation. And we don't apply it to our lives. How is Jesus looking at this situation? Not as an impossible problem, but as an opportunity for him to work. So what does he do next? Verse 39. Then Jesus commanded them to make all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. He had everybody sit down in an orderly fashion and there was enough spacing between them so that the disciples could walk up and down aisles as necessary. In hundreds and in fifties. Some people think this was a symmetrical arrangement like a semicircle maybe of fifties and hundreds and, and, and successive rows, maybe so. If you've ever eaten at a, a dinner theater like a Medieval Times or a Pirate's Voyage or that kind of thing, they're set up and they got this down. No, they, they just go bam, 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 here's your soup, here's your whatever, here's your drink refill. They've got it down. And that's the idea here. And apparently at some of their feasts, the, the Jewish people were accustomed to this. They would sit down in orderly groups, in rows, so that they could be fed. So everybody's thinking, we're going to get fed. This is good. And they're sitting down. The disciples are thinking, this is going to end very badly. Yes, Jesus, this is a good idea. I want you to have, we'll have everybody sit down, and then when we get to the back row, we're just running for it. Because it's going to be mass hysteria when they realize we have nothing to feed them. But Jesus knew. He knew what he was going to do. Verse 41, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. He looked up to heaven. Well, that's just a poetic way of saying he prayed. Heaven is God's home, so he's acknowledging his heavenly father. And when it says he blessed it, it's possible that he said something like their traditional cultural table blessing. It may have been something like, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. It may have been something simple. It may have been something familiar to them. But however it went, he blessed that bread, and then he began to break the loaves. He broke the loaves into pieces. He broke the, the fish into pieces. And the tenses of the verb are quite interesting because broke, broke, one-time act. It's finished. But when it says that he gave, we don't know how it happened, but it's an imperfect tense. So even though he broke it once, he kept giving it and giving it and giving it and giving it and giving it. And it was an ongoing process. It seems that the miracle is taking place right in Jesus' hands. Whatever we give him, whatever we put in his hands, he can use, he can multiply. He can work a miracle with it. Warren Ruthie said, we're not manufacturers, we're only distributors. That's who the disciples were in this story. They couldn't manufacture bread or fish. 
but they could give it out as Jesus kept multiplying it in his hands. So here they are. They're eating their lunch of fish sandwiches, supper rather, and everybody's eating. And everybody's eating as much as he or she wants. Because verse 42 says, they all ate and were filled. Their hunger was completely satisfied. The parallel in John says they ate as much as they wanted. That Greek word for filled, it literally means glutted or gorged. This is you or me at Thanksgiving. And we've just eaten the biggest meal of our lives. And then we had dessert and sampled all of them. And we are full. One writer said this may have been the first time in their lives some of these people were filled with food. We just take that for granted. Yeah, I just had a big meal. Some of them struggled day in and day out. They may have never been this full of food. So the provision, what God offered, was miraculous. We know that. It was abundant. How abundant? Verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Again, going to a different gospel, John says that he sent his disciples to do this. So they took up 12 baskets full of fragments. What kind of basket? What's it look like? It's a small wicker basket that the Jews typically took with them when they traveled into Gentile territory so that their food was kosher and they had it set up separately. So just a lunchbox, something that you might have a, a strap for, a man purse. That's what they're carrying, a lunchbox. We call it a backpack or something a little more manly, right? Quick review. How many disciples did Jesus call? Twelve. I'm not trying to trick you here. Twelve. How many baskets were there? Twelve. Very good. You're with me. So this is my personal opinion. This is not inspired. This is not spelled out. But I personally believe that there was a basket for each disciple. Why? Visual aid. Something that would stick with them. So meeting the spiritual need, like he did with the crowd, and then meeting the physical need. Because what did we read back in verse, I think it was 31? That they had been so busy coming and going, they didn't even have time to eat. Well, guess what? They each had a basket full. Each one of them had more than Jesus started with. That's how I do the math. And would probably remember it, those who lived long enough to tell their children and grandchildren about it. An amazing miracle. And yes, I know that there are people who try to dismiss this and explain it. Oh no, th this, was, this was just everybody was inspired by the little boy and shared their lunch. Could God have done it that way? Yes. Do I believe he did? Absolutely not. Why? Because we have four gospel accounts that say the opposite. That this was a miracle. That Jesus worked to teach his disciples, to teach us. How many people were there? I don't know. We know that there were 5,000 men, that they didn't count the women and children. In fact, probably the men ate separately from the women and children. So 10,000, 15,000, some people estimated as high as 20,000. Whatever it was, it was a ridiculous number of people considering what they had to feed them. And it was enough. It was more than enough. He provided. Going back to our main points, you may have come in here today and you're exhausted. You were just tired. You just would like a nap. God knows and God cares. He knows when we need rest. 
And without being lazy, he expects us to get the rest that we need and to take care of ourselves in that way. Two, God shepherds his people. He cares about our spiritual needs and he meets them. He feeds us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Those who are physically hungry, he cares about that too. And he provided for this crowd in an amazing, miraculous way. God can do what seems impossible. There's no way under the sun that we think this can happen. He can do it. He created the sun. And there are times when he will use us to do something miraculous. Does that mean that you are going to go part the Red Sea this afternoon? Probably not. But I believe in a God who is unchanging and he still works miracles and there are times he will use us in that process to meet what was it he was shepherding? What was he doing? He was meeting spiritual and physical needs. So what are we going to do with this? If there's anyone here in the room, if there's anyone watching, listening online, if you've never come to Jesus for salvation, that's your offer today. The religions of the world want you to do this and that and that and this pilgrimage and do that and eat this and and they just have all sorts of rules for you to keep and you have to check all your boxes and at the end of the day, hope that you did enough of them and didn't do too many bad things. That's not Jesus' approach. What is Jesus' approach? If you are burdened, if you are weary, come to me. And what will you find when you get there? Rest. Why? Because he's already done everything that we need for salvation. He died on the cross and he rose again. And what is our part to believe that? To put our faith in him. If you're a believer... Come to Jesus for spiritual rest. We read in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith, but then it says we're saved to do good works. So there's work for us to do, but it's not all work. There has to be rest because he created our bodies that way, that we need sleep, we need rest, we need breaks. But come to him for spiritual rest. That Yes, maybe I need a vacation, but, but not so that I can go somewhere and spend a lot of money and and stay busy more so than I am at home and come back exhausted needing a vacation. But rather that I would set aside time, call it what you want to, it doesn't have to be called a vacation, but set aside time to be with him. Not to, to leave him at home when you think you go on vacation. You can't do that, but mentally just think, okay, I'm just gonna go do things for myself. Trust him to do what's impossible And give him whatever you have so that he can use it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Is there anyone here this morning who would say, I'm concerned for my soul, Bob? I don't know that I know like Jim shared earlier, that he knows he has eternal life. I don't know that. But I'd like to. If that describes you, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you stand up or do anything. But if you want me to pray for you, I'll do that. And the way I would know that you want me to pray for you is for you either to slip your hand up and put it back down or else look up long enough to make eye contact with me and then look back down. Anyone? Okay. Anyone else? 
Christians, is there something the Holy Spirit has shown you to do this morning? If so, do it. Obey. This isn't hard. If there's sin you need to confess, confess it. If there's something that you need to begin doing or start doing again, do it. Father, we know that you are good. You are the good shepherd. You give your life for the sheep. You did it. You gave your life in our place so that we could have eternal life with you. Lord, I pray that each person in the room, child or adult, would come to the place that he or she knows that, knows the hope of eternal life. And Lord, for the weary, I pray they would come to you. For those who think they have nothing to offer, I pray that they would be willing to give it to you. And all of us would be amazed at what you can do with someone who is genuinely a living sacrifice. Ready to be spent, ready to be poured out for you. Continue to work in our hearts that we would know you more and that we would make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.